Alrighty, my good folks. Hello, Annette here uh, with another episode of High Resolution Life. It has been a couple months since I have shared my progress uh, with the Mendelssohn piece with you. Um, largely because I had to play for a wedding. I had some traveling I had to do. Uh, Jeff and I also had some uh, transitioning that we had to do with work, work projects that had to be done. And paying the bills is kind of important, at least for me. Uh, I have to make sure that gets done. And, you know, it's I just don't understand how people don't just give you money to be talented. You know what I mean? I just It'd be great if somebody just dropped off a check. was like, hey, Annette, you practiced two or three hours today. Uh, here's a um, $200 check for that. That would be really cool. But we have to do other things. And um, sorry ahead of time about my cats. They have the zoomies. Um, hey, kitties, come here. They're all excited because I'm set up for the podcast. So bear with me here. I got some crazy cats going on. But I have been dusting off the Mendelssohn. Um, and I'm making time to practice today because I have quite a number of cancellations with students that I work with. And that is completely okay because I need time for my own artistry. So still keeping at the uh, Mendelssohn piece here. Still the hunting song. Still Opus 19 number 3. Have I been keeping at it since like May? You're darn right I have been. Does it seem like entirely too long to learn a piece? You bet your sweet butt it is way too long, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep at it. And Jeff is still keeping at it too. I just, you know, don't tell him I said this. I just, I think he made better progress than me. So, (laughs) Uh, do I feel insecure about that? (laughs) Slightly. (laughs) Not as bad as I would have maybe five years ago. Um... But, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, feeling a little bit uh, like I'm lagging behind. So, uh, yes. But that was my original idea of working on this piece and collaborating with him and uh, seeing what we could both draw from, number one, inspiration from each other. And, you know, it, like, really pushed me to want to bring up the tempo on my piece whenever I saw how Jeff played it. Because he just, just, you know buzzed right through at a super high tempo and I realized oh wow I'm really far behind and I'm not fitting with the spirit of this piece because it's rather exciting it's a hunting song um and if you want to hear a little bit more of the basis of what the spirit of this piece is and how it's structured you can go uh to a couple of the earlier episodes when we were first endeavoring on this um so that inspired me to realize oh I need to practice in a way that I'll be ready to give it all that energy uh, that this piece needs because Jeff brought a lot of fast energy he's very agile uh, with how he's able to play he's very quick you know he brings a lot of that um, I would say he's really able to bring a lot of exciting movement to his pieces whereas at that time I felt like I was really faltering Um, some of these portions of the Mendelssohn piece uh, particularly right here in this section uh, I was really having a lot of trouble playing them super fast and playing things at a high tempo has always been a struggle for me always I never found a way around it but take a listen uh, and I can put in a couple comparisons to how I played it before in I think it was July was the last time we were able to visit this so let me switch my mic here
Like I, I had some sort of like physical barrier uh, between me and being able to do that. Um, but you know, at the same time in July, when we were able to put out the podcast episode where I had reached this part of these really fast structures. So uh, the piece is in six, eight times. So that means the meter is one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. This part of the piece goes uh, one and two and three and four and five and six and blah, 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 and it's just relentless for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-three measures. Not that long in the grand scheme of things. However, that's a lot of notes to play in a short amount of time. Um, I recommend that you can also check out some other recordings of Opus 19 number three. Uh, it's just relentless and really a struggle for someone like me because I would tighten up. I wouldn't know how to release and also contract my muscles well in an efficient manner. So at the same time, I thought, okay, well, I just need to practice harder. I just need to think about it more. I just need to stress myself out more, which is what a type A personality thinks you're supposed to do in order to make something work. That only works maybe when you're memorizing things. That only works when you have a pressing urgent need that you feel like you need to get done. Uh... Yeah, it doesn't work so well whenever you're doing a physical practice. But at that same time, I had started attending jujitsu class um, twice a week instead of just one time a week. Uh, and I made that a priority. So sometimes I train twice a week, sometimes three times a week. And what I noticed is the control in my forearms vastly improved. So instead of getting this lock, I would get about a lock right here in my fifth and my fourth finger. But I found after I started working on grips and things like that, and the control of the grips and such, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but that seemed to have a positive effect on me being able to have that same control when I'm playing uh, these fast passages in the Mendelssohn. So let me take you with me uh, in my practice routine, um, how a normal practice session really goes for me. I'll just have you go through it with me. It may be a little boring, uh, but if you're starting piano lessons, if you want to know what it really is when a pianist is practicing, you get to see that now and you actually get to experience it. So take a look with me. Okay, so actually I typically start my practice sessions with going over scales and arpeggios. Um, it's actually like the Aristocat song, which I was mildly obsessed with as a child. And if you're watching the video version of the podcast, shameless plug, you get to see the bird's eye view of what I'm actually doing. So because this piece is an A major, so that means we're playing A, B, C sharp, D, E, F sharp, G sharp, A. So there's three sharps. It's a key signature. So I'll start with an A sharp major scale. Then I'll typically go to a, um, I'll typically do a contrary motion. Thank you. 
then after I do that, I will do a third, uh, meaning <clears throat> a C major scale starts at A, B, C sharp, D, E, F sharp, G sharp, A. So in you to, to have s say something has an interval of a third, you count A, B, and then C sharp. If you count them, it's three. One, two, three. So we call this a major third interval. A major chord is built by uh, two-thirds being stacked on top of each other and played at the same time. And voila! And this is all the major building blocks of Western music because it's all built in semitones. So, <coughs> uh, I do this in thirds. Um, it, it's just a good way to keep the key signature in the front of my mind. Um, it's also good to make sure my technique is really on point for some of these fast passages. So I'll usually go through an A major uh, with uh, thirds. And this is also a major part of uh, curriculum when musicians are prospectively passing their performance degrees uh, as pianists. So this is how that usually goes when I'm starting out my practice session. So I made a few mistakes. Um, scales are not something that you really want to just fuddle your way through. You really want to be precise with them. And a good way to build precision, precision when you're um, playing your scales is going through and playing them staccato. Uh, staccato means to be playing through something quickly, so it's like, not quickly, uh, it's got a quick detached touch. So that's staccato. So I'll run through that and uh, with that technique to help clean up the scale. Still not quite perfect going down the scale, but it's almost like taking a Mr. Clean eraser and just putting it right on your scale. And that's particularly important when I get to this section of the piece. So yeah, because uh, we end the piece actually with this. So, yep, ends with just a straight up scale. Uh, and then I also run through arpeggios, <laughs> like the aristocrat, the, the Aristocats uh, movie from Disney. If you're smart, you'll learn by heart whatever body knows. You must do your scales and your arpeggios. I love that song. Truly, one of the strangest things for me to love and adore, but hey, we all have our things that we love for no presumable reason. So here's what the arpeggios sound like.
So that was uh, doing the chords in different positions. So this is root position. This is the uh, first inversion with C sharp at the bottom. And this is in the uh, second inversion. Oh, that's, no, that is not that. That is actually a G major chord. Here we go. So, I was so excited. I'm like, let's go to the dominant. Uh, that's actually that sound you hear whenever it's a cadence. So this is a cadence back to, a cadence meaning um, this is what you're longing for to signal to yourself that a song has ended. And this piece is really written that way as well. Uh, you can hear that structure where he's just lingering on this A, a major. So he does A here, E major chord, A, but it's not in the first inversion. Then we're back to the root. Oh, hi, kitty. You must do your skills in your arpeggios. No me so, no, no, sorry, If you don't see the video, my cat has decided to practice with me. No me so, no, no, sorry, do. No me so, no, no, sorry, do. Yeah, that's actually what that is. Do me so, do, do, sorry, do. Do me so, do, do, so, me, do. Not do, sorry, do. That makes me want some Doritos. So, kitty, say hi to everyone. Say hi to all the cat people. Say hi. Say hello. Meow. <laughs> She's so great. I have a talking cat. All right. Um, it's also helpful because we do sometimes switch over to the dominant key, which is something that a piece will do. It will kind of uh, work its way into a um, the dominant key, and you kind of hang out there for a bit. It pivots. Uh, so there's usually like a pivot chord that will help you get there. In this case, it would be B in this piece. So then we end up in E major. So it's beneficial to go over this E major key because in this piece we end up in E major. So uh, I'm going to go through that E major. Not E major chord, but E major scale. Sorry, kitty. I need my arms to do this. Cats just got to be all up in everything, don't they? I'll do the same process again where I'll go through in contrary motion, which contrary meaning one of the scales is going up, then after a certain point it goes back down. Well, not a certain point, it's after two octaves. I'm going to be a little bit more precise with my language here. Also, what makes an E major scale is uh, there's four sharps in an E major scale. So there's 
E, F sharp, G sharp, A, B, C sharp, D sharp, E. It's the same process of a whole, whole, half step, whole, whole, half, oh, uh, uh. whole, whole, half, and then whole, 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 half. So uh, we'll do it again in the thirds. Remember that it's E, F sharp, G sharp. We count up one, two, three. Bada! Do me, do me. Here we go. So you don't hear me breathing. Let me move this. I sound like Darth Vader. Darth Vader, please. Piano. there we go. Now I'm going to do the same process with the arpeggios. So this is the root position, which meaning the note that starts a scale is the tonic note. So whenever the tonic note is in the bottom, it's in root position. And anyone who is a little bit more of a theory whiz than I am, feel free to lambast me and correct me, and I will include you in the next episode. I'll at least include your comment. So uh, this is root position arpeggio practice for E major. we see which E major scale or E major uh, arpeggio I need to practice. Holy crap! Woo! That is a bad, 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 bad arpeggio. Alright, so here's the process of beginning to repair that arpeggio. Here's how it goes. just a nice reminder that those are the two major things whenever you're analyzing something uh, 
doing a tonal analyzation of something, it's always best to remind yourself of where is your root chord and where is your Roman numeral five chord. Most songs, believe it or not, most songs are really built by this magical one, four, five formula. Most songs start with an E major chord. Well, a major chord, a one chord. Then we go to a four chord. Same thing, you can come up with this formula in A major. What is that? Oh. Wait, was that? Oh, I think I got it wrong in E major. Let me try that again. It's supposed to be. I knew something didn't sound right. Okay, so if you're an E major, the one. Sounds like most every single pop song ever. Uh, so for um, A major, this would be A major. Then you go to D major, E major, back to A. And then for E major, it's E, then it's A major, then B. Whoa, then back to and this is why scales are so important. Because if I would have kept in the mentality of, hey, we're in E major, I wouldn't have made that mistake where I played D natural instead of D sharp. All right. All right, folks. So let's, let me show you some of the work I've been doing to bring this piece back to where it should have been maybe a couple weeks ago, but life happens. The world is not made for musicians. We live in a society where you have to make money, is what it is. And I did not marry rich, and I pay my own way with stuff. So, here we go. Whoop, let me try that again. I got a little too excited to get to the end of this first phrase. again so you don't have to hear my Darth ba Vader? Darth Vader? What, like, is that a mix between Darth Vader and Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Darth Bader Ginsburg? <laughs> oh god, this is what happens when you live alone and you have two cats. You start making really stupid jokes of what if Darth Vader and Ruth Bader Ginsburg got together and had a kid. Um, so, so, uh, I'm gonna move my microphone so you don't have to hear of my apparently Darth Bader Ginsburg breathing throughout the me playing this piece. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs>
personally, for myself, I feel like there was a lot of problems. Oh. oh, and there it is. <laughs> I forgot to move my mic, so maybe you only heard a portion of what I said. Um, I personally feel there were some areas, mostly areas in the beginning, I'm not practicing carefully enough. So I need to get a metronome out and do this kind of practicing. Ah, I gotta feel that right. One, two, 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 two. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, probably, you need to feel this in two a bit, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six. So honestly, this is the kind of practicing I need to do before I revisit this piece with Jeff. Uh, he'll be returning with us. Um, I'm recording this on a Thursday. He'll be back on a um, Sunday. Uh, we'll be able to work on this together. Um, so you could definitely tell, or perhaps you can't, I would really hope that you can't, that I spent more time on this section of the piece. So I was really excited to tackle this. So that feels really good. Like the last section, which I gave the most careful attention to, obviously went fine. But this part I was like, so I need to do a lot of this slow practice uh, of this nature. Ah, and see, I need to think of the structure of where this is going. It's going G, ba, ba, ba. It's going up from G, G sharp, A, B. C, D natural, C sharp, D sharp, ba. Um, so I need to practice that more carefully, and it will be nice, just like the ending, uh, but I was neglecting the ending because I really wasn't feeling confident with what this was doing. It really wasn't practicing skills more. It was doing martial arts work and heavy work with my controlling more of the contraction and release of these muscles. I I wouldn't have thought, oh yeah, do a grappling martial art and that's going to help your technique. No, nobody ever told me that because I don't think anybody ever saw the connection. I think there's some with yoga, but there's something with that control and release action that makes a big difference with that. I don't know what it is. Uh, so that's what I need to do to prepare and to maybe not look like such a um, excuse of a pianist in front of uh, Jeff. <laughs> um, so, <coughs> definitely a lot of mistakes. Let's call it what it is. They were mistakes. Ich habe einen Fehler gemacht. I've made quite a number of mistakes in that first part of the hunting song. Um, so, gotta keep at it. So, um, I was also doing a bit of digging about Mendelssohn as well. A lot of cool things about his life and... Um, Maybe the backstory, uh, a bit of his work was neglected for a time for a number of reasons. Um, I think we might have touched on that a little bit. Maybe Jeff and I talked a little bit more, and I'm sure Jeff has a lot of awesome points to add about the life of Mendelssohn whenever we get to talk again on uh, Sunday. Uh, but Mendelssohn, um, there was a factor that he his family was Jewish. And this actually led a bit to his music being banned for a time, actually during the Third Reich. And uh, Wagner, Reichard Wagner, our uh, old buddy, old pal who uh, wrote The Ring uh, and, he, you know, had actually revolutionary uh, operatic works. Um, 
He really did not have kind things to say about composers like Mendelssohn and Meyerbeer. Um, he said that uh, he joined with a, quite a number of uh, very famous anti-Semites in the late 19th century. Uh, and he was putting down Jewish musicians. He said Jewish musicians too had betrayed the revolutionary idea of freedom in their works. <coughs> Sorry, apparently I can't even <coughs> read about this properly. I'm choking on the words of this guy, which, you know, fair enough. Um, he said that Jewish music musicians had betrayed the revolutionary idea of Germanness in their works, not freedom, rather. Uh, there was Meyerbeer's fake revolutionary music of Les Huguenots and Mendelssohn's detouring of the Tempests of Revolution into soothing salon music. So he considered this work uh, to be soothing salon music so you should only play it in your living room. Um, and... Uh, Germans, uh, German music itself had a certain character to it that was inherently uh, revolutionary because it was infused with this idea of Germanness, um, which was very important and influential to uh, the inception of the Third Reich. Uh, so, <coughs> if anyone wants to think that arts and culture is not important or you know, we should just keep defunding it in schools and it shouldn't be an important part of education. Uh, truly, no. Uh, music has quite an important part in good ways and in bad uh, to influencing others, uh, inspiring people to positive change and also inspiring people to uh, pretty bad things. So um, this is a really excellent book. German, question, Jewish question. Uh, Revolutionary anti-Semitism from Kant to Wagner. Uh, so I highly recommend this book. Really interesting read uh, right there. And also in a bit of my meandering uh, research about uh, Mendelssohn, you can actually find his grave on findagrave.com, which me, I'm someone who's rather obsessed with uh, ancestry and <clears throat> genealogy. This is one of the ways I found some of my ancestors' burial places, but this is actually the... Resting, the uh, earthly eternal resting place of Felix Mendelssohn and also his sister, who was a prolific and fantastic performer. So, um, I don't know how to close this. But it said some interesting things. Uh, and I also found that his father, or not his father, his grandfather was a uh, leading figure in the uh, Jewish Enlightenment period in uh, among European Jews. So... <clears throat> Um, Felix Mendelssohn himself was not really a big fan of his own Jewishness and his family had converted to Protestantism but that didn't really matter uh, to groups in Germany that came after and were attempting to annihilate all the Jews they thought you just can't scrub the Jewishness out of you so to say um, so uh, there were some things that obviously because of the temperature of other cultural figures and thinkers at the time in the upper echelons of Jewish um, German society at the time that led him to try to distance himself uh, from his Jewish heritage and possibly why maybe Mendelssohn is not a little bit more popular today. So um, you can stay tuned for that and we'll talk a bit more about Mendelssohn, perhaps why his works are not as performed today uh, and 
what factors led up to that. One of them definitely being his Jewish heritage in Germany in a time where being Jewish was not quite the in thing uh, at the time, and it wouldn't be for very long, probably still, quite frankly, isn't very popular. Um, and... Uh, Jeff has a lot more to say because he was able to have a chance to read a lot of his biographical works. And we have quite a number of things to thank Mendelssohn for. So we'll talk about that more when we return to record in a couple days. And hopefully I will make some improvements to this. So thanks for listening. I will see you in a couple days. <laughs>